Um, uh, if, if you would, if you could humor me for a second or bear with me for a minute, uh, I'd like for you to close your eyes, if possible. Now close your eyes. With your eyes closed, I'd like for you to imagine Jesus. Picture him in your mind. There. Uh, I would guess that, that we all see something, someone, when we think or hear that name Jesus, right? Whether we've been a Christian our whole life and we read the stories of Jesus, right? You, you imagine something in your mind when you read those stories. And even if you're new to the faith or, or wouldn't consider yourself a person of faith at all, right? I would guess that you think of something, you see someone when you hear the name Jesus. So what is it? Uh, focus for just a second, if you would, on what or who you see. All right, you can go ahead and, and open your eyes. That exercise is over. Thank you. If, uh, bore with me there. Uh, I, I would guess that some of us, that when we pictured Jesus, we saw something, someone like this, or maybe this. Uh, I would imagine that some of us might have pictured exactly this portrait of Jesus. Uh, this particular portrait of Jesus is the most recognizable portrait picture of Jesus in America by far. This portrait in particular, it's called the, the Head of Christ. It's painted by a, a man uh, named Warner Salmon in 1940. And since then, it's been reproduced, some people think, over a billion times. A billion times. It hangs in churches. Maybe it hung in your grandma's house. Many people had little versions of it that they stuck in their wallet or, or tossed in, in their purse. And uh, for the American church, for many of us, this is Jesus, right? Or something very close to this, right? This is what we imagine when we picture or when we see Jesus in our mind's eye. This is him. Except that most of us know it's, it's not. <laughs> right? Jesus was not a European white male, most likely not with these long flowing locks. Uh, this wasn't what Jesus looked like. But it is what many people imagine, again, or, or something very similar, similar to it. Uh, so what if I asked you then? If this is something, uh, if this is close to what you picture, uh, what if I asked you to erase that image of Jesus that you have in your mind, that you see every time you read the stories, what if I asked you to replace that and re uh, erase it, I'm sorry, and replace it with something closer to this? Uh, this is a, a reconstruction, uh, not a, a portrait or a painting, uh, a facial reconstruction done by a man named Richard Neve. Uh, he did this for a TV special. Uh, about Jesus. You see, Richard Neve is a British expert in facial reconstruction. He works on a lot of crime cases, uh, kind of putting faces together, maybe of uh, missing children, for example. And uh, Richard Neve studied archaeology and, and human skulls that were found in Galilee where Jesus lived at the time of Jesus in the first century, Jewish males. And he put this composite sketch together. And Richard Neve would be the first one to say, uh, he made it pretty clear, this is he was not trying to tell us what Jesus looks like, right? That wasn't his goal. He was trying to say, uh, this is probably a little bit more of what Jesus could have looked like, though, than Warner Salmon's work in The Head of Christ. Uh, he was simply saying, this is kind of what uh, uh, an average Galilean Jewish male would have looked like in the first century. And so what if I asked you to replace that Warner Salmon European white male Jesus with Richard Neve's version? I think that would be hard for many of us. Even if we knew it was more accurate, uh, it's, it's hard to let go of those preconceived notions that we've carried around with us for years and years and years and to replace it with something new. It might even be impossible, right? Even if we tried, we might just kind of subconsciously return to the familiar Jesus 
uh, that we know. It's hard to erase and replace our preconceived notions, but it's important, isn't it? It's important with Jesus. And to be quite honest, as, uh, as a pastor, uh, our preconceived notions about what Jesus looked like are, are a little bit lower down on the list. It's not the, the most important thing to me. I don't think it's inconsequential, but uh, what I'd rather focus on today and what I think is much more important is not what Jesus looked like and our preconceived notions about that, but our, our preconceived notions about who Jesus was and why he came, and who he was for, and what he, what he did. Because we all have preconceived notions about that too, don't we? And some of those are helpful, to be quite honest. Some of those are spot on. But I think we'd all have to admit that some of our preconceived notions about Jesus, about who he was, and why he came, and what he did, and who he is for, that they're just off. And they need to be erased and replaced. Uh, that's something that uh, the, the, the people surrounding Jesus in our reading for today needed to have happened. We read a passage from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. Uh, it's a story where Jesus is back home, home for the holidays in Nazareth uh, with his family after uh, already doing some ministry. And uh, he's in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, uh, as any good Jewish person would have been. And he takes the opportunity there to share a scripture. Uh, adult males were able to do that, to pick a scripture and expound a little on it. And, and that's what Jesus does. He chooses a passage from the book of Isaiah. It's a beautiful passage full of these beautiful promises uh, where, where God was promising through Isaiah that he was going to send his anointed one, that God was going to send a savior to the world to do what Israel had been longing for, that, that this anointed one was going to come from, from God to give sight to the blind. To those wandering in darkness, God was going to give some direction. Uh, to, to those who had only heard bad news, death and defeat, this anointed one was going to come proclaiming good news. This anointed one was going to share or bring about release for the captives and freedom for prisoners. The anointed one was going to usher in this new era where God's people were going to live under his favor, receiving his benefits. It was an amazing promise that gave the people of Israel hope to look forward to. And after Jesus reads this beautiful passage, he rolls up the scroll that was written on, he sits down, and he, he lets everyone in the synagogue know that day that, that the time for that promise has come. It has been fulfilled. The anointed one was here, and he was the one. Uh, we heard in that passage then what, what the people there thought about that. And they liked what they heard. We, we heard that, we were told that they were amazed and that they spoke well of Jesus. Right? They could hardly believe it. They, they saw that there was something different about Jesus and they were so glad, right, that, that their hopes were being fulfilled, that God's promises were being kept, that the anointed one was here and he was sitting right in front of them. They were amazed and they spoke well of him. Uh, but what they say next proves and shows that they had some preconceived notions about Jesus. Uh, what they say next comes in the form of a question, although I, I don't think they're really asking a question as so much as making a statement, right? What they say next is, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, they knew it was Joseph's son, right? Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown. It's a small town, right? Not that many people. Everyone would have known that Jesus was Joseph's son. Uh, they didn't need to ask that. What it, in a sense, what they are saying, though, is this is Joseph's son. Right, the kid from down the block, uh, one of our own. What luck, the savior of the world is one of us. 
And, and, and it was a question or a statement that they make full of expectation, right? That, that if Jesus was one of their own, if he was the kid from down the block, if he was Joseph's son, then he was going to be especially, specially for them. They considered themselves to be in a privileged position. Again, they're thinking to themselves, what luck, right? The Savior of the world is here. And, and if, uh, if he was a physician, right, any good physician would heal their family first, so Jesus must come first for them. And, and, and they had seen the miracles that Jesus had been doing in Capernaum, uh, another city, and they're thinking to themselves, if that's what he did in Capernaum, imagine what he's going to do for us, his hometown in Nazareth. Right? They, they thought that they were on the inside track to a special life of privilege and blessing. That, they thought that's how God and God's son, how Jesus worked. And Jesus needs to, to erase those preconceived notions and to replace them. And he does it pretty quickly. He addresses that comment and those expectations pretty quickly. He, he doesn't let this linger for very long, right? And, and he does it by giving the examples of Elijah and Elisha, two prophets from Israel sent to Israel. And Jesus reminds the people in the synagogue that day, that Elijah and Elisha didn't do their greatest miracles and bring about the greatest healing for the people of Israel, right? That, that God doesn't just serve the, the, the people on the inside, but that he's a God who has come for outsiders. He's a God that serves first and foremost the poor, the hurting, the weak, the lost. And Jesus needs the people there in the synagogue that, that day to know that that's how he works too, and that's who he is for. He's not just here for his own. He's not just for people on the inside, for the privileged people, but that he's for all people. But first and foremost, those who are far off, those who are lost, those who are wandering, those who are hurting and sick. Just as Jesus very quickly addresses their preconceived notions, we hear very quickly their reaction, and it's not pleasant. They are furious with Jesus, right? Because again, as, as we talked about at the beginning, it's a hard thing to have your preconceived notions erased and replaced. It's, it's a confrontation that happens. And, and maybe you've experienced that, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you would even describe it as fury, as in our reading for today, right? Maybe you have this moment where everything you thought you knew about Jesus is confronted, where, where, where you're confronted with the reality that Jesus is not just there to affirm you and pat you on the back and, and, and tell you that whatever you're doing is, is just fine. That Jesus is actually there to confront you in your sin and challenge you to change. Maybe you've, you've had this experience where you are confronted that Jesus isn't just there to give you whatever you want when you want. That he actually calls you to a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice and other-centered service. And maybe that's been hard for you to wrap your mind around. Maybe it's Jesus, I don't know, what he says about money or his extreme sexual ethic, right? But we probably all had this experience where, where something about Jesus, when we begin to see him as he truly is, it confronts our preconceived notions. And that's a hard place to be. Sometimes that experience happens all in a moment, right? We hear a sermon like the one people in the synagogue got from Jesus. Or maybe we're reading the Bible and, and we just see Jesus as he truly is and all of those preconceived notions are, are confronted in a moment there. For, for many of us, though, it happens slowly over time. And the more we spend, more time we spend with Jesus, listening to him, watching him, hearing about him, the more we see that he's not who we thought he was. 
But he is exactly what we need. See, what we need is not uh, Jesus to fit into the box that we've made for him. That would make him pretty small. What we need is not for Jesus simply to do the kinds of things that we want him to do. That would make him pretty impotent. What we need is not for Jesus just to come for the people that, that we want him to be for. Again, that would make him and his love pretty small too. No, what we need for Jesus is to be who he is, the savior of the world, the one who has come to proclaim good news. What we need for Jesus is that release that he promises and the freedom that is ours in him. What we need for him is to usher in that that era, that kingdom of the Lord's favor. What we need for him to do is to give sight to us, to shine a light into our darkness so we could stop wandering and rejoice in the truth. We need Jesus as he is, as the one who overcame cliff and cross in order to bring about our rescue. And again, dear friends, I think the only way we're going to begin to have those preconceived notions erased and replaced, the only way we're going to see Jesus as he is, is by spending time with him, listening to his word, gathering together, with, with the body of believers and, and worship, having Christian conversations and small groups and, and Bible study. It's only by spending time with Jesus that we will see him as he is. And that's our calling. And it's also our calling to share him as he is, isn't it? To, to let the world know that we have a Savior that doesn't fit into any box, that is far greater than we ever imagined. You know, I, I was thinking this week, that our world is changing pretty quickly, isn't it? And there's some to lament there. And, and I, I know that some of the changes have caused us a lot of worry, right? For example, that our, our churches aren't as full as they once were. Or that our children know, don't know the Bible like they used to. And we lament that. And, and there is some to lament there. But I, I also see an opportunity there. Because while people might know less about Jesus today than they did 50 years ago, it also means that they have less preconceived notions about him. And, and so we don't have to do that hard work always of, of erasing and replacing. And that's not our job anyway. It's, it's, it's simply to share Jesus as he is. To say to our brothers and sisters and, and dearly beloved family, to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, let me tell you about Jesus. I don't know, I don't know what you think of him. But let me share, you, share with you him as he is. Savior who loves us with an unending love, a God who didn't just come for a select few, but for all people, for the world. Jesus as he is, is exactly what we need. In his name, amen.